Number sense essentially teaches us how to make simple sense out of complex statistics. However, statistician Kaiser Fung said that cultivating number sense is not something you can learn in a book. But there are three things you can do. First is you shouldn't take published data at face value. Second is to know what questions to ask. And third is to have a nose for doctored statistics. So the first bullet is you shouldn't take published data at face value. So to me, that means it takes more time to get to the truth. And I'm wondering to what extent does the volume of data, big data, affect fidelity because that certainly affects your final result. You know, there, there are lots of aspects to this. I would say let's start with the idea that, well, it's kind of a hopeless situation because you pretty much have to replicate everything or check everything that somebody has done in order to decide whether you want to believe the work or not. I would say in a way that's true, but then over time you develop kind of shortcuts. And part of it is that if you have done your homework on one type of study, then you could uh, apply a lot of the lessons very easily to a different uh, study so you don't have to actually repeat all that. And also organizations and, and research groups tend to favor certain types of methodology. So once you've understood what they're actually doing and what are the assumptions behind the methodologies, then you could, you know, you have developed some idea about whether the your believer in, in the assumptions or their their methods. Also over time, you know, I have certain people whose work I have come to appreciate when I've studied the work. They share some of my own beliefs about how to read data and how to analyze data. And and so there's this sense of, okay, they, it also depends on who is publishing the work. So, so I think that's part one of the question is I encourage people to, you know, not just take what you're told, but to really think about what you're being told. So there are some shortcuts to that over time. You know, going back to your other issue related to the volume of data, I mean, I think that is really causing a lot of issues. And it's just not just the volume of data, but the fact that the data today is not collected with any design or plan in mind. And oftentimes, the people collecting the data is really divorced from a, any kind of business problem or divorced from the business side of the, the house. And, you know, and, and the data has just been collected and now people are trying to make sense of, of it. And I think you end up with many challenges. You know, one big challenge is you don't end up solving any problems of interest. So, I just had a reader from a blog send me something just like this weekend, and this is related to somebody's analysis of the, uh, I think this is Tour de France data, and there was this whole thing about, well, nowadays we have Garmin and with all these devices, they're collecting a lot of data about uh, these cyclists, and, you know, there's nothing much done in general analysis, they say. So, which is probably true because, again, all of that data has been collected with no particular design in mind or problem in mind. So, 
so what do they do? Well, they basically then say, well, um, I'm going to analyze the color of the bikes that have actually won the Tour de France over the years. But I mean, that's kind of the state of the world really in. We have the data, then we try to torture it by forcing it to answer some question that we expose create. And oftentimes these questions are actually very silly and doesn't really solve any real problems. Like, you know, mm. the color of the bike yeah. is, I don't think anyone believes, <laughs> impacts the way whether you win or not. Um, so, I mean, I think that's just an example of the types of problems that we end up solving, and many of them are very trivial. And I think the the the, the problem, the reason why we are there, is that when you just collect the data like that, you know, let's say you have a lot of this data about. I mean, let's let's assume that this data measures how fast your wheels are turning, the speed of your bike, you know, all that type of stuff. I mean, if the problem is that when you don't have a pro actual problem in mind, you don't actually have all of the pieces of the data that you need to solve your problem. And the most, most often what you don't have is like an outcome metric. You have a lot of these sort of sensor data, but there's no measurement of that thing that you want to impact. And then in order to do that, you have to actually merge in a lot of data um, or try to collect data from other sources and you oftentimes cannot find appropriate data. So you're kind of stuck in this loop of not having any ability to do anything. So I think it's the paradox of the big data age is we have all this data, but it is almost impossible to make it useful in, in a lot of cases. There are many other reasons why the volume of data is not helping us, but I think you know, what, what's fresh in my head right now because of that, somebody sent me this, this email, is that one of the biggest issues is that the data is not solving any important problems. Well, Kaiser, um, so getting back to something you said earlier about not um, sort of accepting what you're told, I've also now become a big fan of your um, your blog, uh, Jump Charts. And um, there was one, I think it's pretty recent, there was, you commented on a New York Times article on CEO Executive Oh, oh yes. And then you, yes. you actually sort of looked a little deeper into it, and you came to sort of an opposite conclusion. Is that, can you just talk about that a little bit? Because the whole approach there is, is kind of yes. having so, sort of a number sense. Yeah, so basically what happened was there was this big headline about uh, CEO pay, and it was one of these sort of counterintuitive headlines that basically said, hey, what is in a sort of a surprise, CEO pay has dropped. Right, right. You know, and it even gives, gives a particular percent. I can't, I can't remember what it was that yeah. they, it said in the headline. And, you know, and, and I think the, the sort of number sense part of this is that, like, when I read something like that, it, it's sort of like the, you know, for certain topics, like this particular topic, since I have an MBA and I've been exposed to this type of analysis, so I kind of have some idea, um, or some preconceived notion in my head uh, about where CEO pay is going, and so it kind of triggers a bit of a, a piece of doubt in my head. So 
So then, you know, what you want to do in these cases, and oftentimes I think this is an example of very simple things you can do, is you just click on the link that is in the article and go to the original article and start reading what they say. And in this particular case, you actually only need to read, like, literally the first two bullet points of the executive summary of the report, um, because then immediately you will notice that actually CEO pay have actually gone up, um, not down, um, if, and it all depends on what metric people are using. So mm-hmm. in the, and they're both actually accurate from a statistics perspective. So the, the metric that went up was the median pay, so the, the middle person, and then the, um, the, the pay, the, the number that went down was the average pay. And then here you basically need a little bit of statistical reasoning right. because you have to realize that CO pay is this extremely skewed number with, you know, even at the very top, they, I think they only talk about the top 200 CEOs, even at the very top, the top person is making something like twice the second person. Like it's a very, very steep curve. So, so the average is really meaningless in this particular case, and the median is really the way to go. And so, you know, I basically blocked about it and say, you know, that's a really poor choice of a headline because it doesn't represent the, the, the real picture of what is actually going on. So so that's the story. I mean, that, that's a great, yeah, so that's a great example of, you know, what I like to tell people is, you, you know, in order to get to that level of reasoning, you don't really need to take a lot of math classes. You don't need to know mm-hmm. calculus. You, you know, you, it, it's, uh, I think it's sort of a misnomer, um, perpetuated by many, many decades of, of college instruction that, you know, statistics is all about math and you have to learn all these formulas in order to go anywhere. Right. No, I, I love the explanation and, um, it seems that if the Times had just shown a a bar chart, and it would have been a little difficult, but what you're saying is that at the upper end, there are CEOs making a lot of money and that they just dropped a little bit, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but everyone else did better, or, or most like 80% of the CEOs or whatever the percentile is, did better. But those at the top, because they're making so much, lost a little bit of, lost a little bit, and that sort of dropped the average. But meanwhile, if you polled CEOs, whatever the number is, 80 or 90 percent, would, would say, yes, my, my pay has gone up. Is that? Right. So, yeah. So the, you know, I, I didn't look at the exact numbers there. Uh, I don't remember what those numbers are, but in, in, uh, conceptually speaking, Given this type of distribution, it's possible that just the very top guy, having dropped, you know, by a bit, will be sufficient to make the average move. So, the concept is that the the median, the middle guy, has actually moved up. So, you know, what what that implies is that the the bulk, the the weight of the distribution, have actually gone up. There are many different, as with numbers, there are many different levels of math that you can talk about, right? Because, like, that's the first level of of, of getting 
the idea that you really need to look at the median, then if you really want to dig deeper, which I did in my blog post, is that you also have to think about what components uh, drive the CEO pay. Because if they're counting not just the fixed base salary, but maybe also bonuses and also, you know, maybe they even price in any of the stock components and, you know, the, the stock components are going to be much more volatile. You know, it, it kind of, I mean, all points to the fact that you really shouldn't be looking at the averages because it's now so affected by all these sort of ups and downs. It's uh, a basic level of statistical reasoning that unfortunately uh, hasn't seemed to have improved um, in the journalistic world. I mean, even in this day and age when there's so much data, they really need to to improve their ability to to draw conclusions. I mean, it, that's a pretty simple example of something that, uh, that, that can be improved. Uh, now we also have a lot of examples of things that are much more subtle. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like to give um, an example, a different example of this. This also comes from something um, that showed up in the New York Times some years ago. Um, but this is a very simple scatter plot that was uh, plotting or trying to explain or trying to correlate um, the average happiness of people in different countries. And that's typically measured by survey results. So you rate your happiness from a scale of 0 to 10 or something like that. Um, and then they want to correlate that with the what they call the progressiveness of the tax system in each of these countries. Mm-hmm. So the the thing that people don't understand is, like by making this scatter plot, you have actually imposed upon your readers a particular um, model of the data. And in this particular case, it is the model that says that happiness can be explained by just one factor, which is the tax system. Mm-hmm. So the, in reality, there are a gazillion other factors that affect somebody's happiness. And you really, in, you know, if you know anything about statistics, would run a multivariate regression, which would actually control all the other factors. But when you do a scatter plot, you, don't, you haven't adjusted for anything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it's like very simple analysis could be extremely misleading. Join us next week for part two as Kaiser teaches us the art of asking good questions.